welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church Lagos. We hope this sermon answers the doubts or questions that you have about the Gospel, its relevance to your life, and the ever-evolving culture around us. Our vision is to see the City of Lagos and beyond renewed by the Gospel, and to make that happen, we need your support. You can do this by rating this podcast, following us, and giving through the Give tab on our website, citychurchlagos.com. Thank you for your generosity. We pray this sermon impacts you positively with the gospel. Good morning, church. Help us delight in your word. Because this is the word of the Lord, at the end of my reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Kindly respond by saying, thanks be to God. Our reading for today is taken from Mark chapter 1, from verses 40 to 45. Mark chapter 1, from verses 40 to 45, I read. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter the town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. All right, welcome to church. Um, in case you're watching with us for the first time, all right, my name is Tommy Alariwaju. I'm one of the guys on the preaching team. And, uh, well, I'm glad to be the one bringing the word of God to you this morning. Um, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for how this service has been going so far. Lord, we thank you because if you do not give your word, we cannot conjure it up. And it's good news because whatever word that we can conjure will always lead to disappointment and hopelessness. And so, Lord, we are grateful that the speaker here today is your spirit and not Tommy. We are grateful because when you speak your word, stuff happens. Things change. Eyes open. Ears open. Hands are renewed. Legs are brought back to life to walk with you. So, Lord, we just ask, oh God, Holy Spirit, please take control of this atmosphere. In the name of Jesus, prepare our hearts, oh God. Every stony heart, we ask that you break it. Every fertile ground, we ask that you make more fertile to receive your word. That as your word drops, oh God, we come against every forces of darkness, the birds that are here to steal away, the birds that are here to distract, oh God. We come against them and we ask that your word will thrive in the name of Jesus. We will not be hearers alone. We will not be fools who behold the mirror and immediately turn and forget how they look like. Whilst we move into this week, oh God. 
You help us to be doers of your word. We ask, I pray for myself, Father. I ask that your spirit to rest upon me to give me strength to declare your word boldly, to declare your word effectively. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right. Once again, if you're watching with us for the first time, welcome. Or if you've been away for a while, we are glad to have you. So just a way to bring you up to speed, we are in this um, series that we've titled Introducing the Son of God. Introducing the Son of God. So we're walking through the book of Mark. We're moving from Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 4. Uh, we got to a point in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 39, and we felt like uh, we needed a, a little bit more time to treat those verses. And so we did this mini-series called Snap Back to Reality. It was amazing, right? God came with this surgical knife and was just cutting everybody, showing no mercy, right? But the goodness of all of that is that he also comes with the balm of Gilead to heal us even after he has cut us because we know his cut is intentional for our sanctification and our good. Right, uh, but again, there, there, there are lots of reasons, and so we're back to this um, series, introducing the Son of God. That's where we are now, and um, I'm resuming the series for you. Um, there are lots of reasons why we've chosen this topic, this theme, introducing the Son of God. Uh, we're not just doing it because it is fun. Now it is fun for Bible nerds to just talk about the Bible, right? But we're not just doing it because it's fun. We are doing it because we have certain expectations. We have certain things we are hoping that the Lord will do in your life as you listen to us. It is our desire. One of the things we desire is that where the desire for God has been stolen away by the devil, that the Lord will restore it. Where all this spiritual fervency that you used to have has been stolen by the devil, that the Lord will actually restore it as well. So it's our desire that your worship will become more pure as you behold Jesus, the Son of God, who the forerunner was sent to prepare the way for him to come from heaven down to earth. That as you behold the trailblazer who has come to blaze the trail from death back into the presence of God, you will see that Jesus is worthy to be followed. So we decided to teach you about following Jesus. But lest you begin to think that all that God cares about is your walk with him, is your walk for him, or your discipleship, or your spiritual life. We also try to teach you that he also cares about your health. He cares about your body. He cares about your finances. He cares about your studies. So we taught you that healing is a normal thing for the Son of God. And in light of all of this, there's possibility for us to get so caught up with the gifts and we'll forget the reality of the giver. Then we this snap back to reality. Do you see what I'm doing here? That God is actually taking us on a journey. He has been since the beginning of this series. There are certain things that God wants to do in our midst that by the end of this series, our worship will be more purified. Our devotion to God will be more sanctified and we see God more clearly. That's what, that's one of the reasons why we are doing this. But again, one other reason why we are doing this is this. is the hope that as you see Christ more clearly, you will see yourself more clearly. You see, um, if you want to understand a thing that has been created, what you need to do is to consult the creator. If you understand the creator better, you understand the creation better and what the creation was made for. So if you understand the nature of the, creator, the nature of the creator, the intent of the creator gives you a better grasp of what the creation is about. John Calvin, a 16th century theologian, wrote, he said, in knowing God, each of us also knows himself. 
In knowing God, each of us also knows himself. And this is not an idea from Calvin. It's actually in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus comes to meet his disciples and he's like, yo, what's up? Um, Who do people say that I am? And they said, oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Isaiah. Basically, everybody thinks you're a prophet that has died and has come back to life. The irony of that, isn't it? And Jesus says, you know what? Who do you say that I am? And in verse 15, he says, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my father in heaven revealed. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So here's the picture being painted to you. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of God. Christ says, you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Peter says, you are Messiah, the son of God. The revelation of God led to Jesus then revealing who Peter was to him. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. But there's something more going on in the text because Jesus doesn't just reveal who Peter is. He reveals Peter's function. He said, you are Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Here's what the Bible is saying to you. There is no functioning of yourself outside of your functioning in the advancement of God's kingdom. There is no functioning of the human self outside of your functioning in the advancement of God's kingdom. Let me put it another way. You are only useful insofar as you are useful for the kingdom of God. That is why somebody said, only one life to soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. If you are seeking for usefulness, the person you need to be seeking for is Christ Jesus. If you are seeking for, for, for satisfaction, the person you should be looking to is Christ Jesus. If you are seeking for fulfillment, the person you should be looking for is actually Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 11 verse 32, that those that know their God shall be what? Strong, and they shall do exploits. So a revelation of God will lead them to knowing themselves. Then they are then strong to do exploits. So in a sense, when we say we're introducing the Son of God to you, we're actually introducing you to yourself. And that is why we title this someone, Introducing You. Introducing You. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me try and show you the implications of this. Why, why this is very, very important for you to... Pay attention to it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let us make one in our own image so we understand that man has been made in the image of God. Now, what I want to do is borrow that truth, use it in an analogy to help us understand what is going on here. You see, in physics, what is an image? An image is the reflection of an object. Are we together? So if you stand before a mirror, what you find inside the mirror is an image of you, an image of yourself. Secondly, mirrors are, images in mirrors are two-dimensional objects. You know what that means? That means they just have two dimensions. They only have height and breadth. Objects, on the other hand, are three-dimensional. You exist in a three-dimensional realm. So here's the picture being painted to you. You are the image of God. God is the object. You are the image. You reside in a two-dimensional realm. God resides in a three-dimensional realm. That means if you want to understand who you really are, the full breadth of who you really are, we cannot consult you because there's one dimension missing in you. We need to consult Christ Jesus because he's the one in the three-dimensional realm. We cannot consult you. 
So there is something lacking in the two-dimensional realm. There is something lacking in our world. There is something lacking in you. That's why the Bible says if you commit your life to Christ, you are complete, Colossians chapter 2. In him, who is the head of all principalities and powers, there is something lacking in you that can only be supplied by Christ Jesus. One other thing you actually understand is this, that the two-dimensional realm is actually not real compared to the three-dimensional realm. Are we together? Everything you see in the two-dimensional realm is a reflection of something that is happening in the three-dimensional realm. And so you cannot rely on the two-dimensional realm for sustenance or for understanding who you really are. So sometimes the world we live in is a two-dimensional realm. So sometimes the world will convince us we know they will try and tell us half-truths because, again, it's a two-dimensional realm. They, got, they will get too correct, but they will miss one thing. They can show you that, oh, you're, you're only as valuable, for example, as your bank account. You're only as valuable as your promotion at your place of work. You're only as valuable as whether you have a spouse or not. You're only as valuable as whether you have kids or not. What needs to happen for us is that we need to get out of this two-dimensional realm, snap back into the reality of the three-dimensional realm, where we find out what the Bible really says about us, that you are complete in him. That you are complete in Christ Jesus. But then we can flip it. Sometimes the two-dimensional realm will convince you that you are okay just the way you are, even with sin in your life. So it's not really your fault. They are just really nasty people. That's why you cannot tolerate them. You don't have anger issues, you know. Or maybe for you to just, um, you know, I'm going to marry her eventually. Why can't I just keep on kissing her and touching her? They keep on convincing you that you are all right. Once again, you need to snap back to the reality of the scripture where it says the wages of sin is death. The three-dimensional realm is what reveals who we really are. So two things can happen in the two-dimensional realm. Two things can happen. This realm will either tell you you are good or you are bad but he never show you how good or how bad. Let me say that again. Some of you missed it. You actually missed it. This realm will tell you that you are good or you are bad, but he never show you how good or how bad. Let's go back to physics. The two-dimensional realm. I said in two-dimensional realm, they have just two means height and breadth. Do you know what they lack? Depth. Depth. The two-dimensional realm cannot show you how deep your sin is. And in very way, it cannot show you how deep the grace of God is. You need to consult the three-dimensional realm. There is something missing in our realm. We have lost depth. And so you cannot understand fully the effect of sin on your life. Because you don't have depth. But that is the very same way we come to the text. So you read that a man who was a leper came to Jesus, and everybody's just like, yeah, it sucks to be him, you know. <laughs> He's a leper, I mean, it's bad. There is more to being a leper in those days than we actually understand now. So what needs to happen again, I'm using this analogy, stretching it here, that we need to understand the third dimension of what it means to be a leper. How deep is the issue? of being a leper, then we can understand the story that has been placed before us. You see, leprosy in the Bible times was every and any skin disease that is deeper than your skin, that is deeper than the skin level, if it's just deeper, is leprosy. 
And the Bible treats that a lot in Leviticus chapter 13, chapter 14. I know you hate to read that part of the Bible, but it's there for your edification, all right? Now, now, but what needs to happen is this, that when you've been diagnosed with being a leper, what they will do is send you outside the camp, Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. Can you, can you project that? Is it here? Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkept. Cover the lower part of their faces and cry out, unclean, unclean. I think I missed that. Verse 46. Can I have verse 46? He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And again, 21st century, you're like, what's the big deal? I left my house when I was 16. There's no big deal. I mean, outside the camp, you know, it's really nothing. Let us show you what's happening here. So let's do some Old Testament theology. Are we together? Are we ready? Just quick Old Testament theology, about three minutes max. The presence of God is what proves that the people of God are the people of God. So you find that in Adam. Why was Adam and Eve called the people of God? Why? Because the Lord was with them. The Bible says in the cool of the evening, God will come to commune with them. The moment they sinned, they were sent out of the presence of the Lord. Why? Because the sin that they had in them was not consistent with the life that was in the presence of God. Are we together? So God cast them out. So again, they were in courts, no longer like the presence, like, like, like people of God. But you find it with Abraham, you find it with Joseph. The defining mark of the people of God is the presence. The Bible says Joseph prospered in all that he did. Why? Because the Lord was with him. But the story continues. Then we get to Israel as a nation. What made Israel the people of God was not because they were more than every other person. God said to them, he said, you will defeat nations that are mightier than you are. So it wasn't their number. It also wasn't the kind of land that they had. Even though the land was flowing with milk and honey, it wasn't the land of Babylon. You know the seven ancient wonders of the world, right? The Babylonian gardens were part of it. It wasn't because of the land. It was one thing, the presence of the Lord that was with them and their proximity to it. That was what defined them as the people of God. But here's the thing. It gets to a point where God then comes down. Let's just say physically. In the tabernacle, God was residing with the people. Can I have the image? God was residing with the children of Israel. So again, like I said, what marks the people of God is your proximity to the presence of God. Your proximity to God himself. So what you have here, this is the way the camp of Israel is actually aligned. So again, we're trying to deal with under the shop outside the camp, isn't it? So this is the camp of this camp of Israel at the time. The tabernacle here is where God dwells. The holies of holies, only the high priest could enter that place once a year on the day of atonement. Why? He was the literally the holiest person in the land. But you then get outside of that, you find the Levites, they camp around the tabernacle. Why? They had consecrated themselves to God in a way that the rest of the tribes of Israel had not. You then go farther. You see, you're getting farther and farther away from the presence. You then find the children of Israel, they will just align themselves. Three in the north, three south, three east, three tribes to the west. Now, it was intentional when we put all these dark things around here. Every other thing outside here is what you call outside the camp. It is the place of desolation and death. How do I know this? Leviticus chapter 16. On the day of atonement, what they will do when they want to sanctify the whole nation, they will bring two goats. They will slaughter one, and then they will confess the sins of the nation on the other, and they will send the goats into the wilderness. Listen to this. Let's start from verse 10. 
But the goat on which the Lord fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness. To what? Azazel, right? Is that what is that? As the scapegoat. It's an unholy version. This version I have. <laughs> <laughs> just yes, just yes, just yes, I was just here. Apologies for that. Now, Azazel was actually um, a demon in those days. It was the demon of destruction, the demon of death. So what resides outside of the camp? Sorry, you're taking it away. What resides outside of the camp of the Israelites was death, was desolation, was pain. That was the reality of the leper. So for the leper to have leprosy, it had spiritual implications. It means that the God that saved you, even though you want to be with him, you cannot. You are outside the camp because of the leprosy on your skin. You probably had identity issues as well. Well, I'm a Jew, but I'm not really a Jew because only the Jews could remain in the camp. But once again, the Bible says the leper that we have in Mark chapter 1 was the man. So maybe he had family issues, you know what I mean? He could no longer be with his family. Maybe his wife got pregnant and then he was diagnosed with leprosy and they needed to send him out. So he would get to a point where he would never be able to hold his kids anymore. Maybe somebody else will be a father to his kids. And you will not have the opportunity to be like that. Now, if you don't understand what that means, just a couple of, couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine messaged me from the hospital, was in ultrasound with his pregnant wife, and just messaged me and said, I am tearing up. It's alive. It's alive. <laughs> he came to my house. I started pissing. It's alive. She told me it was rolling inside that belly. It's alive. <laughs> As was, now, in case you don't know me, I'm a pretty hard guy. I don't cry. All right? When he said that, man, I still didn't cry. I maintained my masculinity. I didn't cry. <laughs> However, you know when your eyes is twitching, like you're, you're gone. If, if he says one more thing, you will ball. Like you just... Why? What was I thinking of? The thought of holding my son or my daughter. You know what the most wicked thing would be to me? To deprive me from being a father to them. That was what this guy was experiencing. It was a spiritual issue. It was a family issue. He will never be able to hold his kids. He will never be able to father his children. But you see, this image of leprosy is so strong in the Bible. The Bible then adopts it to talk about sin and its effects. You see, the image of sin is so strong. The image of leprosy is so strong in the Bible. You see, I don't know if you actually discovered this when you're reading through the Gospels. Did you know that leprosy, you don't say leprosy, that you don't heal leprosy, you cleanse it. Did you know that? Almost all through the Gospels, you, don't, you won't hear, no, it's, because it's not, it's not like you are sick, yes, but you need cleansing. Cleansing is not a New Testament word. It started from the Old Testament. And the prophets actually started adopting this to actually talk about sin. So you will find in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 8, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sins and rebellion against me. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 33a, Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I what? 
cleanse you from all your iniquities. The peak of it is in Psalm chapter 51. When David raped Bathsheba, sinned against Bathsheba, killed Uriah, sinned against him, sinned against the children of Israel, sinned against God. Now he's about to confess his sins in Psalm 51 verse 7. What does he say? Cleanse me with what? Isaiah, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Cleanse me with isop. You know what isop is used for? It is one of the ingredients for purification, for cleansing the leprosy. You see that in Leviticus chapter 4. The priest shall order that two light clean birds and some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and isop be brought for the person to be what? Cleansed. That means what? When David was viewing his sin, he wasn't viewing sin as a stain on his clothes. It was leprosy. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, you know what? If, if your clothes get stained, you're like, oh, man, that's, that's inconvenient, you know? That's not sin for David. For David, it was, I am a leper. Something is wrong with me. That's the way David was seeing leprosy. Sin. It was, he was seeing it as leprosy. He was seeing it as it's not just a stain on my clothes. It is deeper than that. But this is what your two-dimensional perspective will always give. There is a depth to sin and its effects that your perspective lacks. It is deeper than you think. Listen, when it comes to sin, as a church, as a nation, we have lost depth. We don't know how sinful sin is. We don't know how wicked sin is. I was chatting with a friend a couple of months ago. It was a video call and he just he was talking and he was like, I quote him. This is what I did. Uh, I did it again, you know. I was like, what did you do? What did you do again? Did you, did you play PlayStation again? What, what did you do? He said, I watched porn and I masturbated, you know. Just, I was like, you have lost depth. You are talking about sin and it is, you know, I did it again. We have lost the full effect, an image of the full effect of what sin is. How did Jesus undo sin? How did Jesus perceive sin? Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 to 30. Can you just project that? If your right eye causes you to stumble, do what? Gorge it out and throw it away. Don't keep it. Let's replace you back. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be burned in hell. There was a rootlessness with which Jesus attended to sin that we actually don't have anymore. You come to the text and you're like, I mean, he's not asking us to gouge our eyes out, gouge our eyes out, you know what I mean. You are losing depth. He's talking about what sin can do and how you need to be ruthless with it. Maybe a contemporary example will help you. Um, zombies. Let's do zombies. All right. Now, I'm going to watch zombie movies here. Younger people. Older people, you're like... <laughs> All right. Zombies are fictional characters, all right? They are basically monsters. So the idea is that you get a virus. Okay, you won't get a virus in Jesus' name. But you get a virus, you get what I mean? You get a virus, and then um, you die, but you're also alive, and so you're craving for blood, and you just want to eat flesh wherever you find it. And now the virus, depending on the movie you watch, <laughs> right, takes time to incubate. So some it is a couple of days. Some it is... So, no, let's, let's take it step by step. <laughs> well, 
Some it is a couple of hours. Some it is like three seconds. One of those movies, very great movie, World War Z. Have you seen it? Right, yeah, by Brad Pitt. There was a scene in that movie. There was a scene in that movie, all right? I mean, they are zombies, so all you have to do is kill them, isn't it? So people are shooting, they are shooting, they're just doing all the action stuff. Zombies are dying left, right, and center. But one of the things about zombies is that they creep up on you, don't they? You don't see them coming. So this girl was shooting, she was shooting, she was shooting. And then the zombie just came just beside her and beat her hand. Immediately, a friend brought out cutlass, stretched the hand. <laughs> now, no, don't laugh. <laughs> no, 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 honestly, please, no, no. Imagine if that was actually real. What choice did he have? Either she becomes a monster, or if she gets the hand cut off. That is the desperation of sin. Sin is a virus. You need to cut. You don't joke with it. You need to be ruthless with it. Cut it off. We have lost debt. Do you know one of the watchwords for our generation is? Calm down, it is not that deep. You know what I'm talking about? You go to Leto by Enkilo, it's not that deep. They are just issues. I have issues. As a generation, think about it. We hold few things sacred. Sacrilege doesn't mean anything to us. Because there is nothing to desecrate. I have issues. I am not envious. I'm just ambitious, you know. I just have drive. But you know, before I would, I will marry her soon so I can touch her. I woke up at the wrong side of the bed this morning, so I have to devalue my, my mate, my date man, and my employees. I just have issues. It's just anger issues. It's not deep. Let's take it home a little bit, the one that you can relate to. Uh, the, guy, the, guy, the guy actually misbehaves. It's okay for us to mock him. Mockery is devaluing. Mockery, we look at somebody that has been made in the image of God and we desecrate them. You know what I'm talking about? Politics. Bala blue. You know where I'm going. Guys, don't laugh. No, think about it. Chill. Think about what I just did. Mockery is sin. I then give you an example of mockery. And you laughed. And you are still laughing. <laughs> Psalm chapter 1. Let's get you out of your two-dimensional mindset. Let's get you the three-dimensional one. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Just flip it. Cursed is the man. Listen, he's not the one doing the mockery. He's just in their company. Oh, I didn't come up with the joke. I only posted it on my Instagram feed. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You are in their company. The Bible says you are playing with a curse. Oh, 
oh, I hate him. I don't agree with what he says. I don't agree with what he has done. But do you remember that he has been made in the image of what did Jesus ask you to do? Love your enemies. Pray for them. But no, that one is not in your own Bible, eh? And so we come to church on Sundays. You worship Jesus, you know. He's the creator of the universe. He creates masterpieces all around the world. Da Vinci's got nothing on him, you know. Michelangelo's got nothing on him. He just creates masterpieces. You do that on Sunday. Monday to Saturday, you go about looking for his masterpieces and you're tearing them down on your WhatsApp, on your Instagram, and your Twitter, and you wonder why the world doesn't want to join us. We sound exactly like them. That's what they would do. You have lost depth. Come on, Tommy, don't you know how to take a joke again? That's the way you will know you have been infected with the leprosy of mockery. When you, when you cannot identify anything as mockery except when it's directed at you, you are infected. It is not that deep. That is the language of the devil. Genesis chapter 3. He came to meet Eve. He said, ah, did God say she not eat of this? She said, oh no, God, God said we should eat of every tree. I said this one, if we eat it, if, I, if we touch it, we will die. Now, get used to understanding the vibe. There's vibe in the Bible. You know what I'm talking about. He said, you will not die. In short, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Go deep now. What, ah, ah. It is not that deep. Do you realize that when the, when the priest is trying to diagnose if you have leprosy, the only question he's asking, how deep is it? That's what he's asking. Check Leviticus chapter 13. Um, I just picked a couple of, of verses just to show us this. The priest is to examine the saw on the skin, and in the air on the saw has turned white, and the saw appears to be more than skin deep. It is a defining skin, is this. If the shiny spot on the skin is white, but does not appear to be more than skin deep. Let's just go to the last one. More than, that's all the issue is. How deep is, is, is the issue? It's depth. But we've lack, we lack depth. Leprosy <laughs> took the man outside the camp. Sin takes you outside the camp. In that version I read for you, what stays outside the camp? Azazel, the demon of destruction. You are in danger. You are in danger. Sin endangers you. Think about it. When the enemy wants to attack the children of Israel, who is the first person you're going to meet? Those outside the camp, the leper that is there, you are beyond the protection of God. Listen, sin opens up your life for the enemy to touch you. Ah, Tommy, are you saying that I now have issues because of my sin? No, yes, maybe. Sin opens up our lives to various issues. And if you are here, you're a non-Christian. Jesus loves you. All right. He loves you, but you are sick. You are outside the camp. One of the descriptions of leprosy in Leviticus chapter 13 is that it becomes a itch, an itch rather. And then um, can get to a point. Sometimes it is a, it's like a fresh wound that just never heals. 
And so here's the picture. You are scratching your body because when you have itch, scratch is sweet, isn't it? So it is sweet for you. But at the very time, it is sweet for you. But in that very same action you are doing, blood is still flowing out of you. Life is flowing out of you, but you can't help yourself. You have to keep on scratching. That is how leprosy is, old non-Christian. That is how sin is. You know what's worse? Is that there will come a day where the door to the camp will be shut and those that remain outside the camp will bang and bang and bang and the door will not be open to you. Come to Jesus. Come while the door to the camp is still open. But there is a way leprosy works. You see, um, the way leprosy works. Leprosy in today's world is what we call Hansen's disease. So we have refined it a little bit. Leprosy is not just any kind of skin disease. There is a specific one, Hansen's disease. And there's this um, doctor, Dr. Paul Brown, who actually made the discovery, I think, in 1970s or so, and um, said this thing about leprosy. Here's what he said. Hansen's disease, which is leprosy we know today, is cruel, but not the way the other diseases are. It primarily acts as an anesthetic in numbing the pain cells of hands, feet, nose, eyes, and ears. Not so bad when one thinks that most diseases are painful and would like them not to be. But what makes a painless disease so horrible? Anson's diseases, norms, norming qualities, is what make for its fabled destruction and decay. For hundreds of years, people felt it caused sores on parts of the body, which caused rottenness and smell and loss of limbs. But it has been found out that Anson's disease only numbs the extremities. The destruction only follows slowly because the warning system of pain is gone. That is exactly how sin works. It numbs you. you are, and I'm not just talking about just the feeling, like you don't just feel stuff. No, no, no. I'm talking about you're unable to react to sin when you see it. You can't run. You're just there. You're unable to react to spiritual things. You can't, in, you can't make any move. Over time, sin numbs you. Remember the first time you did that thing you're not supposed to do, Yeah. You broke down. The first time you lied in, at your office, you broke down. You were so mad. The first time you visited that website you're not supposed to visit, you were guilty for days. Second time, third time, fifth time, 500 time. Now, you will do those things and you will not even, you just, you've even forgotten sometimes to even ask the Lord for forgiveness. Sin numbs you. Listen to what Dr. Brown said. He said the destruction only comes after. Your eyes will be destroyed so you cannot see Jesus clearly anymore. Your ears will be destroyed so you cannot hear Jesus anymore. Your nose will be destroyed so you can't perceive him anymore. Your hands will be destroyed so you cannot walk for him anymore. Your legs will be gone so you cannot walk with him anymore. Sin destroys Let me tell you something. 
This is my says on the different. The devil cannot destroy you. I will start from there. Matthew chapter 16. The devil cannot destroy the church. The Bible says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of what? Hades cannot prevail. Death cannot prevail against the church. Jesus makes that indiv- makes it individualistic a bit for you. He says in John chapter 10, he said, my father who has given the saints to me is stronger than all. No one can snatch them out of my hand. But you see, what the devil knows that he cannot destroy eh, is one thing. The devil knows he cannot destroy your heavenly standing. But he's sure going to go for your earthly relevance. Think about what I just said. Your heavenly standing is safe. When we go for your usefulness for God's kingdom here on earth, either way, you win. This is what sin does. You become less and less relevant. And some of you are like, no, I'm still doing things for God. I'm still functioning. The question is, are you functioning properly? There was a time when the Spirit of God would wake you up by 3 a.m. to commune with you. Now, 7 a.m., you're awake and you're still yawning. You still can't finish that Bible. There was a time when they could not separate you from the Word of God. People were angry with you because you were reading Bible too much. Now, if you open your Bible, you only count it down to when you close it. You are not functioning properly. One of the things leprosy also did was that leprosy took the guy away from his home. Remember when I said that? Leprosy led to the loss of a father. A while ago, I met an, um, an African-American preacher, and um, we were talking, we had lunch, and he said, one of the issues in the black community in America is that we don't have fathers, it's an epidemic. We just don't have fathers. They're either in the prison and children are being raised by gang members and other stuff. Don't be fooled into thinking that the devil has not devised a way to get fathers out of the home, even in Africa. Oh, I mean, we are protecting, they are providing, they are doing all they are supposed to do. Are they protecting and providing spiritually, though? Fathers have been sent out of the home. Young men, look at me. I want to talk to young men now, all right? Guys, listen to me, because this has become an issue. I am persuaded that one of the ways the devil is bent on taking fathers and men out of the home is through the issue of porn and masturbation. Like, it's, it's just glaring. And I'll tell you why. You know how it works. When you're engaged in porn or masturbation, the last thing you want to do the last place you want to be is in the presence of God. It constantly kicks you out. You are unable to stay. And here's the problem with not being able to stay in the presence. The presence of God is what has authority to the words that you declare. There will be times in your life, men. There will be times in the lives of your family, men where the situation does not warrant normal talk, it warrants a prophetic declaration. But you don't have any authority because you've not spent time in the presence. Porn has kicked you out. The Bible says the, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The greatest threat to your family 
is not that misguided TikTok influencer. The greatest threat to your family is not that unworth, unruly friend that they will meet in the school. The greatest threat to your family is not a dark society. It says we battle against spiritual wickedness, principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. Those spiritual wickedness will seek to influence your family in such a way that they will declare words over your family. What words will you say back? Or maybe, you know, it's when the problem comes. You then start declaring words. You have become a voiceless man. They can't hear you. Think about it. The seven sons of Sceva. They wanted to cast out the demon. They said, in the name of Jesus, that Paul preached, that Peter preached. Why? They don't know the Jesus. They don't spend time. The demon said, Paul, I know. Peter, I know. Who are you? The kind of men that the church that your families need are men who have spent enough time in the presence for their voice to be recognized in heaven and in hell, such that when they declare, everybody stands at attention. We have lost death. We need men who are spiritual protectors, men who are spiritual providers. There is a problem if the only time you see yourself as the head of the home is when you're providing food to the table or when you're winning arguments. That's a serious problem. Your job description is bigger than that. You are a spiritual protector. Spend time in the presence of God. Listen, it is those that spend time in the presence of God that have spiritual jurisdiction over that family. They are the ones. And before you start thinking, I'm talking to the guys alone. Babes, take a cue from our mothers. Those women prayed. Take a cue from them. You have a spiritual role. Thank you, my father. <laughs> I've been waiting for so long to do that. <laughs> Please have mercy upon me, right? <laughs> you have a spiritual role. Learn from our mothers. They were not dumb. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. They were not foolish. I remember a story just talking about how when you have spiritual jurisdiction over your family by staying in the presence, it benefits you and it benefits your kids. This guy was about to sleep with a girl. I mean, he was already, you know, losing his stuff. And his phone rang. Lo and behold, mommy. <laughs> If you try it. <laughs> listen, listen. She wasn't there. She wasn't there. But there was a jurisdiction. There was spiritual jurisdiction. She knew something is about to touch that boy. Let's do a little, a little bit more. Can I, can, I, can I be vulnerable with you guys? Can I confess? Just, you know, all right. You are safe, are you? All right. I feel like I'm trying to convince myself that she did this. When I was in university, I had everything a young guy could wish for, except a girlfriend at the time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> However, I had amazing friends. 
Atom or Adyen kind of couple of other friends. Great guys. Yeah. I will see you have them in subsequent summons. So let's just. But I wake up every single day and think about ways to end my life. They didn't know. I was fine. Oh no, he told me, told, told me that we'll go and preach in church. Ah, <coughs> it's fine. My mom called me. So every morning I'll, I'll think about ways to end my life and I'll just walk in up the courage to eventually go through with it. My mom will call every evening. Tommy, what is wrong with you? I'll say, nothing. This went on for weeks, every night. Tommy, something is wrong with you. Talk to me. I'll say, and one time I threw a tantrum. What do you mean? I told you nothing is wrong with me. Ask my friends. Mom said, I know something is wrong with you. One Saturday morning, she took a bus from Ilori and she came to Ife. She said, Tom, I'm in front of your hostel. Come out. She stepped out. I said, why are you here? She said, let's get out of your room first. She went out of your room. My friends were around. She brought food for everybody and she gave everybody food. Everybody was happy. So she settled them. <laughs> and she said, let's step outside. And we stepped outside for about two to three hours. My mother kept on pressing. What is wrong with you? Nothing. No, I'm fine. Can't you, do I look lean? I am fine. Guys, I was at the edge of a cliff. Nah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just leave me alone. I'm fine. Mom said, something's wrong with my boy. Something's wrong with you. I said, no, I'm fine. She gave up eventually because she has to go back home. And so I escorted her to the bus stop. And she got to the bus stop and the bus was about to leave. And whether by the help of the Spirit of God, I have no idea. The walls broke. And I started weeping. Told them a hard guy. Whipping doesn't come easy. I was wailing. Mom jumped out of the car, bus. She rushed to me. She hugged me. I said, Mommy, I'm not fine. She said, I know you will be fine. Nothing will touch you. Here's what was happening. The question is this how did she know? I was gone. Like, it was over. I was at the edge of the cliff. How did she know? Spiritual jurisdiction. She had spent enough time in the presence. She was now a spiritual protector. It's such that she was saying, no, the enemy will not touch my boy. As far as I could remember, 4 a.m., 3 a.m., I would hear my mommy calling my name. In the name of Jesus, told me, you are blessed. You will call my children, not, you will call my sisters. Nothing will happen to you. You are blessed. You are protected. You are favored. You are cared for till today. If I see my mom and I prostrate, she will declare the ironic blessings over my life. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Here is what is happening. I am here today because my mom stood and told the enemy, you don't have jurisdiction here. Back off. Nothing will happen to this boy. That's why I'm here. But if all you are doing is engaging in sin, how will you be a spiritual protector for your home? How? See, what he's doing is changing you out. 
not just, not just mockery, with porn, with every sin that you engage in. The aim is to get you out of the presence so it can feast on your families. How will you protect them? How will you say you cannot pass this place? You will not touch this child. How? But he has touched your life. He has messed it up. And you still want, you, you think I'm going to be head of a home this way? We have lost depth. Sin is a non-issue. I just did it again. No, stop that. It's chasing us out of the home. And if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts, yeah, you know what? You have spiritual, you have spiritual heads, you have leaders. Speak with them. Don't give in to that deceit of the devil that no one understands, that no one cares. Someone cares. Someone is praying for you. Or maybe yours is not, it's not the leprosy of sin. Men, women. It's not the leprosy of apathy. They're just indifferent. You know. Daddy, will not do devotion today. Uh, it comes down to simple things like that. Who is leading devotion in your home? Is it mommy all the time, eh? Mommy will carry the kids, teach them the will of the Lord. And you'll be yawning and be passing by. Leprosy, sin, drives us away from the home, drives us away from the presence of God. But what do you think the cure is? The presence of God. The presence of God. That's the cure. That's what solves the problem. You see, go back to the text. <laughs> the Bible said the guy came to Jesus. He came. But here is the declaration. So Leviticus 1345. 1345. Can I say it? All right, I'll just read it here. The leprous person who has disease shall wear torn clothes and let the air of his head and blues and shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! Before he gets to wherever he's there, he just starts shouting. The Bible said, this guy came close. Here's the picture of him painted to you in the Bible. Jesus is the one that can cleanse. If this guy keeps on shouting unclean, he will never get to Jesus. So here's the picture. Leprosy dictates that you stay away from the very thing that can cleanse you. That's the way sin works. That's the way sin works. So I've sinned. I have done it again. You know the feeling. You just don't feel like getting back into the presence. If you are sick, where do you need to go to? Hospital. If your clothes is dirty, go to washing machine. If you are sinning, go to the cleanser. But the devil tries to keep you away. The very thing that can cleanse you is what he's trying to keep you away from. Galatians chapter 5 verse 16. Walk in the spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What does it mean to walk in the spirit, to walk with a God consciousness? How do you walk with a God consciousness? Spend time in the word and pray. So the devil then convinces you that now that you have walked in the flesh, don't walk in the spirit anymore. Because he knows it's a loop. If you get back there, he is done. The devil tries to keep you from the reality of the scripture because he knows it will supply what you lack. 
she can then say to me, I've read it. I've prayed. I've read my Bible and I've prayed. In fact, this snapped back to reality thing that pastor was preaching. In. I did it. Five minutes, 30, I was there. <sighs> but nothing is happening, nothing is changing. Let me tell you a story. A grandmother and a grandchild go to, goes to, they go to the river. They go with a basket and a bucket. And the grandma tells the son, she says, fill the bucket by drawing water from the river with your basket. And the guy says, And grandma says, try it first. And he says, if you say so. So he tries it the first time, dunks the basket into the river. And of course, before he gets to the bucket, all the water is gone. Grandma says, try harder. Try faster. Keep on dunking it. And when he goes, he dunks and he tries to fill the bucket. He dunks and he tries to fill the bucket. He dunks, he keeps on dunking, keeps on dunking. Keeps on dunking the basket into the water. I guess the point he says, it's not working. I give up. It's not working. The grandma said, look at the basket. It's clean. Because you keep on dunking it. Sometimes, God's purpose for you in the word is not to fill you. It's to cleanse you first. Because he cannot feel what he has not cleansed. I've sinned again. Keep on dunking. I've lied again. Dunk. I masturbated again. Dunk yourself. I shouted on my spouse. Dunk yourself in the world. Go back into it. In short, get your Bible reading plan. Because here is the thing. We all assume we are reading our Bibles, but no, we are not. Because sin gets you out of the presence. Get a reading plan. Set a time to be in the presence of the Lord Well, look at the text again. He came within a, he was within touching distance from Jesus. The Bible says Jesus touched him. Here's what has happened. The only way he could have gotten close is that he was not shouting unclean, unclean. So his confession mattered. He wasn't just saying, I'm unclean. I'm, no, 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 no. He came. That is not what I'm going to confess. He came. He didn't resign to his uncleanliness. He didn't just say, whatever will be, will be. See, many of you are here, and that is your testimony. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Tell me, I was born this way. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 3, what? You need to be born again. Because if you are born again, you are no longer born that way anymore. You are now living according to the spirit of life. You need to be born again. You were, yes, you were born this way, but now that you're a believer, you're not born that way. You're born a different way. Learn from Paul. Romans chapter 7 from verse 24. Romans chapter 7, 24 to verse 8, to chapter 8, verse 2. Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He didn't even go far. 
Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And one of the most beautiful words ever written in the New Testament, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, I am unclean. There is therefore now no condemnation. I have sinned. I am wretched. There is therefore now no condemnation. I have lied again. Your testimony. There is therefore now no condemnation. I have done this thing again. There is therefore now no condemnation. I will keep on dunking until I am cleansed. And see, one of the biggest, biggest hindrance, all I've been saying here is, you know what the biggest hindrance is? You know it. Uh, Tommy, I get what you're saying. But what's the point? I will do it again. But many times, right there, as you're asking the Lord for forgiveness, in your head, I might do it again. What is the guarantee that he will choose to cleanse me knowing that I will disobey him just immediately I leave this place? Go to the text. You see, the text says that this guy comes to meet Jesus. And in verse 43 to 45, I don't know if you can project that for me. Verse 43 to 45, after Jesus touched him and healed him, the Bible says, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing and the testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. ESV says, desolate places. Yet people still came to him from everywhere. Jesus warned him sternly. Why? I mean, there are other people that Jesus would, would say, tell other people. Notice that he said, don't you, don't do this. In my mind, Jesus knew that's what that guy was going to go and do. He just, I mean, well, here's the good news, guys. That didn't stop him from cleansing him. He knew that if I cleanse this guy, he will go and do something in such a way. Listen to the picture being painted here. I told you that the leper was outside of the camp. At the end of the story, who is in desolate place? Jesus. Jesus knew that what you have done is going to send me outside of the camp. He said what? I am still willing to cleanse you. This is the picture of the cross, guys. Jesus has been sent outside of the camp. He has taken the sin, the leprosy of sin on his own life and now he's feeling the full effect of it. He's outside the camp. They've nailed his hands and his feet. He couldn't see God anymore. He couldn't hear God anymore. He couldn't perceive God anymore. And he said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He was feeling the old implications of what it means to be a leper. His hands were, were nails and he couldn't move his body. There was inactivity in his life and he was just there, couldn't move. And the people looked at him. They said what? They said, if you are the son of God, come down. What was their reasoning? They just thought that an inactive God is not capable of saving anybody. But they didn't know about the doctrine called substitutionary atonement. Because in substitutionary atonement, it means this, that what is supposed to happen to one 
will happen to the other because they will change their place. So by the time inactivity came to Jesus, you missed, there was a substitution, an activity came into your life. By the time death came into Jesus, there was a substitution, and life came into your life. On, after three days, he rose again, and he came out and he showed people his scars. He said, listen, I was once inactive, all right? You want to know why you should be cleansed? I paid the price for your cleansing. This car is still there. You want to know why you will see again? I paid the price for your sight. This car is still there. You want to know why you will hear again? Why you will be revived? Why you will be restored? Why you will begin to function the way you are supposed to function? This car is still there. I have paid the price for your cleansing. If you believe you're going to rise up on your feet and let's begin to talk to Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you found this sermon helpful, we hope you join us in the mission of renewing Lagos with the gospel by sharing it, rating this podcast and following us. These actions help us reach more people with the gospel. You can also connect with us on various social media platforms via the handle at City Church Lagos. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.